coverage of the big Red Room episode of Twin Peaks continues this week. Make sure you check out my episode I did on Saturday to introduce this. I had a big section on the origin of the Red Room, talking about how it's in the alternate ending to the pilot and was then transformed into uh, what it is on the series as a dream sequence. A fascinating origin story that I think tells us a lot about the way David Lynch in particular works. So if you're not too familiar with that background, uh, check that out. No spoilers in that. Just talking about basically what you see on screen, um, plus some more stuff that you don't see, but is not uh, strictly canonical per se, except maybe as part of a dream that we didn't see. But in this part, we're going to talk about the scenes in the episode that involve uh, Laura Palmer's story. I think maybe a few less than in the previous episode, actually. Um, there's more subplots kind of taking over, even as the parts that are Laura-centric are particularly memorable. But uh, here's what we got for that this week. For the Laura story, the murder, we see Ben uh, telling Jerry about Laura after they've exited the dining room. He says Leland's daughter was more murdered than the Norwegians left town, and Jerry cares much more about the Norwegian part, which is kind of funny. Only later does he register. Wait, did you say that Leland's daughter was murdered? I did. Hmm. I'm depressed. <laughs> just like kind of shows where these guys' heads are at. Uh, we see Cooper, Truman, Hawk, Lucy, and Andy setting up the bottles and measuring the distance. We don't know what they're doing yet. We cut away and then we come back to see them uh, revealing that this has something to do with Laura's murder uh, in the sense that they're trying to figure out who Jay was that she was meeting the night she was murdered. And this intuitive method seems the way to do it. So here's what Cooper says. He says, by way of explaining what we are about to do, I'm first going to tell you a little bit about the country called Tibet, an extremely spiritual country. For centuries, the leader of Tibet has been known as the Dalai Lama. In 1950, communist China invaded Tibet. And while leading the Dalai Lama nominally in charge, they in fact seized control of the entire country. In 1959, after a Tibetan uprising against the Chinese, the Dalai Lama was forced to flee to India for his life and has lived in exile ever since. Following a dream I had three years ago, I have become deeply moved by the plight of the Tibetan people and filled with a desire to help them. I also awoke from the same dream, realizing that I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand with the deepest level of intuition. And so, of course, this method involves setting up these glass, I guess it looks like probably milk bottles, empty milk bottles, on these this stump a uh, good distance away from where Cooper is, has sort of set up his station. He takes a rock in one hand, he throws it at the bottle as Lucy reads a name off of a list he made on a blackboard that they've transported out here into the woods. And as he goes down that list, we already discussed what happens, you know, with the bottle on that, that list. But based on if he hits the bottle, they make note of it, and that should tell them who Jay was in, in Laura's diary. In this scene, Hawk is wearing kitchen mittens, holding the uh, bucket of rocks. And he, the actor, Michael Horse, asked Lynch, like, why am I wearing kitchen mittens? He said, Lynch just said, oh, I, I just thought that was funny. So there's not a reason behind everything necessarily. The montage of faces definitely where, where he says James Hurley and they list who he is. Jeb Biker had a relationship with Laura and we see a flash of his face from episode one. That just, that that feels very much like a concession to the idea that the audience needs some reminders to kind of help them keep tabs on what's going on here. Uh, it's definitely a concession to exposition. 
And it feels a little odd with some of the more adventurous decisions Lynch makes this episode to have that in there. Later at the sheriff's station, we see Cooper and Truman examining the bloody cloth. And uh, Harry says, you know, we found this in the woods, tells him how Hawk got it. And Cooper says, ah, nasty piece of work. And that's pretty much it for the evidence this episode. We're right on from that to Albert arriving, creating a scene uh, down the hallway where he starts antagonizing Lucy right away. You know, he doesn't have time. He just snaps at her. And she sticks her tongue out. It's funny, too. She's reading the Tibet uh, book, which was the actress's, Kimmy Robertson's idea. And uh, that, the I guess, she tried to do that in another episode based on what happens in this one. And the director was like, no, what are you talking about? There's, there's no reason for her to be reading that book. And she was kind of annoyed. And when she asked Lynch to do it on this episode, he was like, yeah, that's great. And she, so she always loves to tell that story. But so uh, Harry and Cooper come out and they talk with Albert and he's just berating the the this town being isolated and inefficient. Welcome to amateur hour, he says, when he opens the the autopsy report from before. He's like, we got to get stuff done. He's got two men behind him in sunglasses. And it's just totally this image of this outsider coming in and badgering everybody around. And uh, Harry dislikes him right away. It's pulls him aside, says, you know, I hear you're good at your job. I think Albert's like the forensic pathologist for the FBI or for this region or whatever. He says, that's good, because if anyone else came into this station and talked to me me and my people like that, they'd be looking for their teeth two blocks up on Queer Street or whatever that means. So he's, uh, you know, they're off to the wrong foot right away, but Cooper's loving it. He's standing in the background, grinning ear to ear as Albert insults Harry and Harry insults Albert, like he's just loving it in this strange way and that feels like something lynch would only really get and uh other directors maybe weren't as tuned into the the humor of that particular dynamic there's also a humorous moment before where they're still looking at the evidence and they hear that albert's down the hall and uh you know cooper exchanges brief words with harry and then he just reaches out I think he warns him that, you know, Albert can be a little difficult to deal with. And then he reaches out and he pinches Harry's nose and makes a weird noise. And they just start smiling. I think it was like an improvised moment between the actors or something, if I remember correctly. Or it does seem like something Lynch would tell him to do. But for whatever reason, it's just very spontaneous and funny. And uh, also worth noting in this whole sequence, uh, the Albert-Harry relationship feels to me very Hill Street Blues. These two clashing personalities within the larger rubric of law enforcement, that's like a very Hill Street Blues thing. And uh, he himself, Albert, is a super Hill Street Blues type character where you have somebody with a very strong personality trait. And it's not like anybody in particular I can think of from that show, like a sort of a sarcastic, rude, very efficient, condescending toward everyone persona. He's got an element of uh the Howard Hunter character in in that he's so sort of upright and clipped and blah 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 but totally different type of personality uh you know he he doesn't have that like sort of conservative militarist persona that that Hunter Lieutenant Hunter has uh, so it's not that he's a specific Hill Street Blues character it's that he's that type of character who has that personality to the forefront which makes him clash with other people for interesting sort of drama on screen and so uh, Frost has said that this is basically his character, Albert, and you can totally see it. It, it comes out of that whole milieu. And Miguel Ferrer, by the way, was on Hill Street Blues. Uh, he was in an episode in a season that Mark Frost wrote where he plays a heroin dealer. 
a very different type of character from Albert, although he's still got Miguel, Miguel Ferrer's characteristics in there. Later on, we see in the intro to Cooper's Dream, we see Laura's corpse uh, lying on the slab with the light flickering, and we also see the firewalk with me note from the crime scene. So we're getting these signifiers from the murder uh, in there. And for the direct ties to the murder, which is, of course, why I placed it in this section, Albert's coming to uh, ex examine Laura's body before she's buried the next day. And they, re they reference that in the scene, you know, that she's going to be put in the ground less than 24 hours, so he doesn't have much time to do his work. It's going to be an all-nighter, he says to the boys behind him. And he's also just kind of, you know, uh, disrupting this town's sort of sense of reverence and grief around around this death, just making it all business, you know, got the, got their... Got, got what they've got to investigate, and oh boy, what a mess. Let's get through this quickly. In the intro to Coop's dream, we see an image of Laura's corpse on the slab at the morgue. We see an image of the fire walk with me note in the uh, crime scene. So we're getting these little signifiers of her murder that are haunting, uh, uh, that are, that are haunting Cooper and perhaps spurring the parts of his dream. You know, I, we're seeing in a way the ingredients here that lead up to the dream possibly through his vision and we also have the one-armed man introducing mike and bob and uh that you know this the talking about they were killers they were or they were you know we used to kill together and this and that uh i'm not sure some of that's from the alternate ending but you know it's all part of this thing where we're getting a sense that um somehow these figures relate to the killers how so we don't know yet in the Red Room, we have Cooper, the Little Man, and Laura. There's nothing explicitly connected to the murder there, at least that we can tell at this point, although what she whispers is apparently the name of the killer. Cooper wakes up. I know who killed Laura Palmer. Well, he calls uh, the sheriff's station, or he calls Harry's personal line or whatever, and he says, listen, we need to meet up in the morning. I know who killed Laura Palmer. No, it can wait till morning. And he hangs up the phone. And that, to me, is one of the most dramatic indications that Twin Peaks knows it's a TV show. It has a little bit of that self-conscious postmodern flair where they're winking at the audience. They know it's the end of a 45-minute, well, an hour-long TV program that the audience has been waiting to find out something. They're going to tease it, and they're going to say, it can wait till morning, meaning it can wait till next week. So we'll see you then. Moving on to other Laura storylines for the Palmer family life. We see Leland dancing with Laura's portrait. Sarah shuts off the record, smashes the portrait. Uh, no, he smashes the portrait. Sorry, she's trying to wrest it from him. And then he just starts crying and there's blood from their hands, from the glass. And he's rubbing it on the painting and, and sort of crying and leaning in toward a painting. And Sarah screams out, what is going on in this house? There's something about the dry quirky edge of this scene where it's something offbeat and kind of funny but also very haunting and uh it, it adds to that sense I, I i had with the bottle scene and other and the albert scene that something about this episode despite lynch's heavy presence feels very hill street blues to me it's just this kind of character dynamic a slow build-up, a sustained ridiculous, but turned into the poignancy of Leland's gesture. That that would feel extremely at home on that show, like something maybe Mick Belker would do, the uh, grimy kind of undercover cop who has this bottled-up kind of emotion that 
can express itself in these almost animalistic ways of like leap on somebody and growl like a dog or something. The moaning noise that Leland makes feels very like that. But it reads differently in this context, not like this grizzled, whiskered cop in a crowded, dirty urban police station, but a middle-class father in a home dancing with a picture of his daughter. So it's that similar sort of extremism, but it, it reads differently in different contexts. Pennsylvania 6-5000 is a very unusual song choice for the show so far. In fact, I believe this is the first time we've heard a needle drop in Twin Peaks. Everything else, even when Bobby turns on the jukebox, that's a piece of Angelo Badalamenti's score. When Audrey's dancing to the music, it's Angelo Badalamenti's score. When Julie Cruz sings at the Roadhouse and the Pilot, those are songs that David Lynch and Angelo Badalamenti wrote together for her, for her album that they then brought into Twin Peaks. Pennsylvania 6-5000, I believe by, the, by Glenn Miller, is orchestra is uh that's like an iconic piece of popular music that is now introduced into twin peaks so that's fresh it's also of course the the phone ringing that we hear is part of the record and probably part of the reason lynch chose it because he has this motif in his movies of like a phone ominously ringing unsettlingly ringing in the background as something's going on and the characters hear it and it's like disruptive and agitating uh, Lost Highway has really good use of this. Mulholland Drive, of course. I think it's an Inland Empire. And it's just like, there's something, Lynch has a brilliant way of finding very unsettling things from everyday life and heightening them in his films to tap into that feeling that they create. And then the Palmer family life is also featured in Cooper's Dream because we see Sarah descending the staircase in slow motion calling Laura, as we saw in the pilot. For the relationship to Bobby, all we get is, as mentioned, Bobby saying, tell me about it when Leo says Laura's a wild girl. Relationship to James, as James and Donna are discussing their love for each other, they talk about uh, how, you know, James was with Laura and, and they couldn't even think about it. Same goes for the Laura-Donna relationship, uh, you know, that she was friends with with Laura, so she couldn't think about getting with James, but there was a time in the hallway where they saw each other. So this is the scene where they're alone in the Hayward living room, the grandfather clock is ticking and the lights are off and they're kind of necking and kissing and talking, uh, whispering to each other about their romance. And there's sort of an innocence to it, but uh, especially when contrasted with the surrounding one-eyed Jack scenes that are intercut with it. But it's more about their romance together, I think, than than Laura, but Laura is definitely relevant to it. They bring her up in that. For Laura and Renette, we have Ben telling Jerry about the new girl from the perfume counter, as I mentioned, implying that there's a connection between the perfume counter and therefore Renette. Uh, right now, there's we're, we're getting like the outer edges of a web, but we haven't got the center of the web yet, so we don't know what it's leading to. And then later, we see uh, Cooper walking into the Great Northern Hotel room. He blows a note on his flute and then holds it up in the air like a cheerful little kid. It's, it's so it's it's so much fun. I love that moment. And then the phone rings. He picks it up, and Hawk tells him about Renette quitting her job at the perfume counter. You know, we're talking about Laura and Renette because there's really nothing about Renette yet that suggests she's going to have her own storyline. 
and yet the things we're hearing haven't been explicitly connected to Laura yet. But the only reason we're hearing them is because of her connection to Laura. So it's all kind of diffuse. For the therapy story, we have Jacoby's name pop up in the bottle scene. The bottle falls, doesn't break. There's nothing much about therapy in this episode, but it does come up tangentially when they mention that he was Laura's therapist and that her parents didn't know he was seeing her. There's nothing about Laura's addiction in this episode. For Her drug dealing is only mentioned when Mike and Bobby tell Leo that Laura had uh, $10,000 still in, in hold for the charity storyline meals on wheels are mentioned during the bottle scene when they're talking about norma jennings and audrey talks to donna about laura helping johnny for laura the laura and leo storyline again leo references this idea that he knew stuff about laura even beyond what bobby knew about her being a wild girl and the bottle breaks on his name so Keep your eye on that guy. For the uh, Laura stories that were introduced in episode one that we're getting a continuation on here, uh, I talked a little bit about her, you know, spirituality in that episode, for lack of a better term. And here we're seeing that in that there's somebody in this red room, in this dream that feels like a kind of a communication in a way, whether it's coming from part of Cooper's psyche to another part or from somewhere beyond. We're seeing someone who looks like Laura in the red room saying she feels like her, sometimes her arms bend back and she's filled with secrets, and that she's the red, the little man's cousin, but she looks almost exactly like Laura Palmer, and she's able to whisper some information to him. So there's some, it feels like there's some sort of connection here going on with Cooper and the essence of Laura. For the mystery man storyline, we see somebody watching Leo in the woods. Is Leo supposed to know he's there? It's not clear. Mike and Bobby say, who is that? There's a guy standing back there with a mask over his face, and, uh... Uh, or like a, you know, a, one of those balaclava type of hats pulled down over his over his face. Who's that back there? And Leo says, don't you worry about that. And I don't know if he thinks they're trying to distract him. People have wondered this before. Or does he have someone there to back him up? We don't know. Is the, So we don't know if this has anything to do with Laura's mystery man. But it's a mystery man. So therefore, in our minds, maybe it does. For the Log Lady Visions, we get nothing on this episode. There are new Laura stories introduced in this. Laura and Ben, we find out about Ben singing to Laura, and Audrey wonders if she ever talked about him to Donna, and Donna doesn't answer that question. She just says, why? Like, Donna's very curious. She has a certain personality type, which I think, you know, we can talk about as, as she's sort of asking these questions, where she gets a little insistent. She wants to know something, and she's not necessarily very accommodating to other people. Uh, she wants to get out of them what she can. So she wants to hear from Audrey, why would Laura talk about your dad? Why? What's going on here? And she seems a little surprised that Audrey would suggest that's even a possibility. So that indicates something. That's it for this episode. Tomorrow, the subplots, the scenes, more scenes, scene by scene, uh, but involving characters unrelated to the main Laura mystery. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support this work, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash lostinthemovies for monthly Twin Peaks conversations at the $5 a month tier and a monthly podcasts with other material for the dollar a month tier. And also all of the episodes, every advance episode of this entire series uh, for mostly for the for the uh, $1 a month tier but the $5 a month has the uh, the last several episodes that I won't be releasing to all patrons um for another few months in the case of uh, Firewalk with me for example the Twin Peaks film where I have 12 separate uh, parts just on that that are all close to like an hour long so it was a 
really in-depth coverage there. Lots of stuff to dig into in my archive, all linked below, of course. See you tomorrow.